series on, on mission. Uh, we chose the, the theme, uh, kind of boots on the ground, to, to reflect this concept that, that the call of the follower of Jesus is to be on mission. You understand uh, this, this quite well from, a, from an organizational standpoint. If you've been around Crosswinds, you understand uh, that we are in constant mission flux. So uh, we had a, a larger group, and even though it was not a huge group, we sort of split that group in half and became two congregations. You're aware that we're looking to start a, a, a third congregation. I would note that sometimes when we've talked about mission in the American church, what we were talking about uh, is the concept of, of building very large, large congregations in that and that sort of thing. That is not uh, predominantly our point and our idea. Simply, when we talk about mission, it, it is the idea that you've heard us uh, 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 speak many times, which is this, is that neighbors reach neighbors who reach neighbors. That is history. We can demonstrate from the New Testament that the way the gospel spread was through neighbors telling their neighbors about Jesus. So neighbors reach neighbors. We would say that was history. That's how the gospel spread. We would also say it's the future as we go into post-Christendom. Uh, crosswinds uh, is committed to the idea that, that perhaps 10 congregations in 10 neighborhoods uh, of, uh, of 50 to 80 people might be more effective than, than one church uh, of 500 or one church of 1,000 or even one church uh, of 10,000 simply because of that concept of missional impact, neighborhood impact. You also might have heard us say, we'll, we'll bust out all our slogans this morning, but at Crosswinds we also say this, that our, our philosophy of church planting, our philosophy of, uh, of church beginning, our, our philosophy of everything is that as relates to our congregations, if a person can't walk to it, it's probably too far. Now, if you grew up in the church or, or you've been with us a while, a lot of us uh, do drive, not, not a lot of distance, most of us, but I grew up here in Wyoming, here in Godwin Heights, and we drove, uh, we drove approximately 15 minutes to church every Sunday. That happened a lot uh, in our, our collective American past. I would suggest to you that it, it will not continue to happen uh, uh, into the future in great amounts of numbers. We are coming out of what was kind of a, a great church growth movement era, uh, starting uh, with, with uh, things like the Willow Creek Association, a guy named Donald McGarvin, who was a church growth movement guy, and we came through that. We went through that for two decades, the 80s and the 90s especially. The 2000s brought, brought, uh, brought a lot of change, and so even here in West Michigan, you, you might not see it. But probably the era of people who are far from Christ, driving a long distance to go to a church that, that calls them to Christ, is, is pro, it's, it's waning to say the least. The reason that that worked for, for a time is that there was a lot of disaffected folk, a lot of people who had dropped out of, of the church. And so it was appropriate to say that church is not what you remember it as. We're a church that's different than what you remember. And so a lot of those folks who were disaffected came back to the church. The reality, however, is that in our generation is that the, the collective knowledge of people when they think of church is typically not, um, not the, the conservative 
uh, churches that some of us grew up in, the churches where you had to wear the, the three-piece suits, the churches where drums might have been, uh, been verboten or, or evil. Uh, the, the collective memory of people when they think of the church is the contemporary church or churches that are exactly, at least to their litur- liturgy or behavior, exactly like, like our churches. So that puts us in a place... And in a time where we have to ask ourselves, how then will people be reached for for Jesus? And it will be more complex than what we used to do back in the day, which was we would have a a grand kickoff each year. We would would do what was called a a pig roast. We would send out 10,000 cards. People would show up to eat the pig, and and some of them would stay. And you could kind of build a church like that. Uh, I told you last week uh, uh, in, in, in connection to this that that it used to be said that the way to plant a church was to find a growing uh, middle class to upper middle class area where developments were being built, put up a church, it would naturally grow. However, we know in urban context that does not work, uh, and it will not work into the future, and it probably won't work in the suburbs much longer. West Michigan, being an interesting animal, having come from such a church place, that still works on the outskirts of our city, uh, unfortunately, white flight and, and evangelicalism went together like a, like a glove so that when, when the city started, started to change, when the city started to transform, at the same time when evangelicals began to work jobs where they had more money, and, and we've talked about this before, evangelicals, dispro- Caucasian evangelicals, disproportionately represented um, as to wealth. When they started to get some wealth, they moved to the far reaches of our city, and so, so there is this evangelical ring around the outside of our, our city, drive 20 minutes in, in any direction from the center of the city, you'll find an evangelical ring. The reality, however, is if you drive into to the city, what you're going to find is diversity as to, to race, diversity as to income, and diversity as, as to faith. And so I say all of that to, to make this simple point, that the idea of mission in, in 2017 cannot be one simply of what can the church do to evangelize people, and, the, and it cannot be uh, the church as an organization. It, it can't be one simply of what can the church uh, do, what event can they put on that I can invite people to, although we do that and we're not negative uh, on that. These cannot be the predominant things, but rather, as in history, so it is today, the way people will be reached for Jesus is if you tell them. And, and the way people will hear about Jesus is if it's spoken by us. And the best, most, most, uh, most effective mission will be neighbors loving their neighbors and talking about Jesus along the way. That's another reason we believe congregations of people living in close proximity, reaching out to their neighbors is more effective because what happens then is you, you, kind, of have a, you kind of have a team working in one area and, and, and the saturation point is that there's multiple followers of Jesus in one neighborhood sharing the same message so Christianity can be seen and demonstrated. It, 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 uh, and so that is, that is all by way of introduction to the series to tell you where we're going the reason why we're going is we are still committed to this, this idea. And we'll get deeper into why we're committed to the idea. But simply put, we believe that Jesus should be proclaimed. That Jesus should be spoken. That we are, we are called as a people to a mission. And so we're going to spend three weeks talking about that mission. What I'm going to do is, uh, is introduce 
why mission, and this is really the heart of it, why you should be on mission, I think and would assume that most of you, you agree that, that you should be on mission, but let me emphasize and clarify some of our motivation then for us. Uh, to do so, we're going to jump into what is a Psalm of David, found not in the Psalms, but rather in, in First Chronicles. And I'm going to read to you the length of the Psalm, but we're going to focus really on, on, on one verse. But David said this in First Chronicles uh, uh, chapter 16, uh, beginning at verse 7. On that day, David decreed for the first time that thanks be given to the Lord by Asap and his relatives. Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, proclaim his deeds amongst the peoples. Sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of his wondrous works. Honor his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Remember the wondrous works he has done, his wonders and the judgments he has pronounced. You offspring of Israel, his servant, Jacob's descendant, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments govern the whole earth. Remember his covenant, the promise he ordained for a thousand generations. The covenant he made with Abraham, swore to Isaac, and confirmed to Jacob as a decree, and to Israel as a permanent covenant. I will give the land of Canaan to you, your inherited possession. When they... Were few in number, very few indeed, and resident aliens in Canaan, wandering from nation to nation and from one kingdom to another, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their behalf. Do not touch my anointed ones or harm my prophets. Let the whole world sing to the Lord. Proclaim his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory amongst the nations, his wondrous works amongst all, among all people. For the Lord is great and highly to be praised. He is feared above all gods. For all gods of the people are idols, but the Lord has made the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Ascribe to the Lord, family of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord, glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord, the glory of his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in, splendor, in the splendor of his holiness. Let the whole earth tremble before him. The world is firmly established. It cannot be shaken. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. And let them say amongst the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea and all that fills it resound. Let the fields and everything in them exist. Exult. Then the trees of the forest will shout for joy before the Lord, for he's coming to judge the earth. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. And say, save us, God of our salvation. Gather us and rescue us from the nations, so that we may give thanks to your holy name and rejoice in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Then all the people said, Amen, and praise the Lord. Here's, here's the idea. Here's, here's what, where we're going, and, and, and actually we're going to be predominantly in verse 24, where it simply says this, declare his glory amongst the nations, his wondrous works amongst the people. You say, or, or, or I think it's appropriate to ask, why are we on mission? What is the mission all about? And so if I ask that question, a lot of times we'll come up with various reasons, for why, why we do it. Well, we, we're, we do it so that the, the, the church can grow. Uh, we do it so that people can be Jesus. We do it so that people can get saved. We, we might say the, these various 
things. But that is not the predominant reason we're told to be on mission in Scripture. In fact, the heart of mission is this. It's God's glory. It's right here in verse 24. Declare his glory amongst the nations. This is a clear call to mission. This is a clear call to declaration. It's a clear call to speak the truth of who God is and what he has done. But God's glory is at the heart of mission. And I'll talk about why that's important in in just a minute. But I want you to hear me say it again, and then I'll I'll talk about that. That God's glory is, is, is the heart, the motivation, and the key of all mission. Uh, verse 24, declare his glory amongst the nations, his wondrous works amongst all people. To understand that God's glory is the reason we do mission is to understand this idea that God himself is intrinsically valuable. In other words, he has value because he does. He, he has value because of his goodness. He has value because of his greatness. He has value because of all of the things explicated in, in this Psalm of David. He has value because he made the earth. He has value because he created the streams. He has value because he created the forest. The forest, realize this, it says that at the end of the passage, the forests are so clear on the fact that God has intrinsic value in having made them that the trees of the field cry out in praise to God. God has value because he has made all the it is. God has value uh, because of everything he has done. It says here God has value because of how he carries out his judgments. This is First Chronicles, but it gives us a shadow of God has value because he's the saving God. So it's Old Testament. It's looking forward to Jesus, but at the end of the passage it says, you are the God of salvation. God has value. That seems very basic, but it is, it, is, it, it is very important in our mission that we start with this concept that God has value. He's intrinsically valuable. He has value because he is. He doesn't have value simply because of what he can do for you. He doesn't have value simply because of what he's done for you. He doesn't have value in any of those. He has value because of who he is. As surely as you live and breathe, as surely as we as humans have value intrinsically because we reflect his image, he is the one who has the most value or or is is the very definition of value in, in the universe. Now, uh, to demonstrate what, what I'm trying to communicate there, I'm going to give you then why, why it matters. It has two big lim- implications. The, the first implication is if we understand that God himself is the reason we're on mission, that he has value intrinsically, it, it makes this point, that the reason we declare the goodness of God is simply because he's good, which seems like a restatement of everything, but you know this in everyday life. You just don't apply this every day to your faith. And I'm going to talk to you parents. I have never had to go to a parent and say, let me give you a motivation to brag on your child. Parents do not need motivations to brag on their children. We naturally and automatically and regularly brag on our, our children. Um, 
sometimes we need a motivation to stop bragging on our children. But I'll be honest, that is difficult sometimes. You like talk, you're like, hey, do you hear what my, uh, what my kid did? And like the thing about bragging on, on your kids, it's different than bragging on God. You've got to be low-key about it because you know and I know that it's real easy to go a little too far in talking about your kids. And so when you're bragging on your kids, you're trying to play it off like you're not bragging. Just like, oh, yeah, you know, by the way, my kid did this. No big deal. Right? But I've never, ever, ever had to ask someone, you know, could you brag on your kid more? Right? Uh, In fact, most of us never have had to ask anyone, you know what I could really go for more of? I know we've spent a lot of time together lately, and you don't stop talking about your child incessantly, but what I could really go for is another really awesome story about what your kid said to the cat last night. Right? Facebook demonstrates this to be true. I guarantee you that if we went to Facebook right now and we sorted it by parents, there would be picture after picture after picture of your child. Do some of you have the kind of telephone that that if you use the camera on your phone, you can use Burst? And what Burst does is it takes like a million pictures. You can just hold that button down. You can take 240 pictures in less than a minute, right? If you take 240 pictures on Burst in less than a minute, all of those pictures are going to be exactly the same. I've noticed, however, that parents will often upload all 240 exactly the same pictures because they see a difference in the picture. Why? Because they love their kids and their kid is intrinsically valuable to them. Their kid has value. They look at the kid, they go, I love that kid, I'm going to brag about that kid. I am not claiming innocence. I like to talk about my children as well. My point is they have intrinsic value. You know this in a good relationship, you know that if you're in a good relationship with your husband or your, your, your wife, you know that intrinsically you think they're good and so you brag about them, right? This is the thing. We're talking about humanity, so there's a, I'm not encouraging all of these behaviors. I'm just pointing out stuff that happens. So you know that sometimes you got a friend who's in a less good relationship to you or you just heard a story that, about something that his wife did and you're like, my wife's a little bit better than that, right? So you're like, he'd be like, Hey, do you hear, look, my wife made these cookies, and he gives you one of his wife's cookies, and you're like, that's okay, but it's not my wife's cookie, right? My wife made, and so maybe this is, maybe this is just me. You're looking at me like this is just me. I feel like, you know, I feel like it's true. I feel like all of us automatically view what our wife or our husband does as better, and if we don't, uh, that's a problem that is not in purview of the sermon, right? But in a good relationship, we're like, my wife is so great. She did this. Did you see what my wife got me? Did you see what my wife did for me? Did you see? I think that these things are true. And the point is, we understand that there is intrinsic value to the person that we love, that we care for. And hopefully, the more we know them, the more we know them, the more motivated we are to speak of them. And so, uh, Last week, I was, I was telling you that uh, last week, Saturday, I had been married for 22 years. I have no less good things to brag about in year 22 than I did in year one. Some people are like, oh, in the first year, marriages are so new and so fun. I'm like, if you think year one's good, you should see year 22. It's way better. 
You're too young and dumb to understand how good the other person is in year one, but there is everything about year 22 that gets better. If that's a good relationship, you build on that. Everything that goes into it, it just gets better moment by moment. If you need me to, I know I do a lot of... Um, a lot of humor, especially when I'm up here, and, and do humor about, about my family. And some, sometimes, you know, uh, we, we make my family a little bit of a punchline. But I'll be honest with you. If you need to come up here to hear someone brag on their wife or children, come up. I've got 22 years to tell you uh, of experiences to tell you about my wife, and I don't mind doing it. I do not mind doing it. So God is intrinsically valuable. So what happens with intrinsic value is this. The more we love something, the more we share about it. I'll give you another example. My children, especially, uh, especially my middle son, falls in love with things easily. And so he falls in love with things like fishing. And when he falls in love with fishing, he will tell you story after story after story after story about fishing. He just tells you and it's constant. And sometimes you're like, please stop telling me. You know, in Grand Rapids, we have Art Prize every fall. We go down to Art Prize one year. We're going to go uh, look at the art. And we had to leave an area we were in because it was so close to the river. He could not stop talking about fishing. And we could not take hearing about a fish anymore. We're like, that's it. We got to get away from the river. He can't handle it. Here's, here's my point, though, is that that which we love... And the more we love it, the more we speak of it. The motivation for mission, first off, is an intrinsic understanding that God has value. He's good. His goodness motivates us. The second way it motivates us, because as we fall in love, we can't help but share. The second way it motivates us is it keeps human motivations out of the equation. Here's the thing. If something awesome happened to me, Right? Let's say something really awesome happened to me. And for, for, for purposes of this, let's say the awesome thing was someone gave me five pizzas. Right? Now, these five pizzas happen to be the Palermo 24-inch pizzas, so they're huge. Uh, because I feel like if I went with the smaller pizzas, you just assume that I would eat them all. Right? But in this case, they gave me too much pizza to eat. Uh, the Palermo pizza is literally this big around. I'm not teasing. It's, it's like that. It's giant. So I get five of those. I have five of those pizzas, and I realize all of a sudden that I can't eat all of the pizza by myself. What am I going to do? Well, it would be an insult to the pizza to let it waste, right? The pizza's delicious. The pizza's amazing. You just don't let the pizza go to waste. So then what I would do if I had that pizza is I would probably find someone to give it to. But if I enjoy the pizza... Uh, if it's good pizza, I'm going to want to find people that I really like to give it to. Does that make sense? And I think that's, that's I'm, not, I'm not trying to make a deep point. I'm just trying to make a basic, basic point is that if I had pizza that was delicious, I would try and deliver it to, to people that I really cared for. And so if I had a neighbor on one side of me that I really loved and one that I didn't, I would try and send the pizza one direction and not the other direction. If, if I saw people coming down, down the road, I would try and give the pizza to someone that, that I loved. I would call around. I would probably, uh, 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 probably text people from church, but I would try and find people with something as simple as pizza that, that I like. Here's, a, here's another fact, and this may seem petty, but I think pettiness de defines the human, uh, the human nature quite well. 
The same thing is if I had this pizza and I really like that, that pizza, and it's about my internal motivations, I would try and keep the pizza from anyone that I didn't like. So that if you had someone that you find generally annoying, right, if we put this, if we put this situation in you at your job and you have like four coworkers that you really like, you're like, I'm going to give pizzas to them, but you have one coworker that you really don't like, you might try and deny the pizza to the coworker that you don't like. I think that's human nature. I think the same thing is often true in evangelism, right? I, and evangelism is a misuse of the word, so we're going to use mission. In mission, in the declaring of God's goodness, if, if the motivation is human, I need to tell that person about Jesus because they really need Jesus, our humanity will keep us from seeing that everybody really needs Jesus sometimes, our, our judgments, and we will treat, treat it like giving away pizzas. I'm going to share the gospel with that person that I really love, but I'm not going to share the gospel with that person because I don't really like them that much. And you might say that that's not true, but the fact is, is that that often happens, right? Uh, I was pointing out this morning uh, 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 the reality of what's go what went on in Charlottesville last week uh, where, where we had a white supremacist march and then we had, uh, ha we had fights and we had a white supremacist plow through the crowd and, and run in, into protesters. And one of the things I was pointing out, one of the things that, that has, has become interesting to me about some of the language of groups like, like, uh, like people who would call themselves the Christian Knights of the Klan or other groups that would claim to be pseudo-Christian groups that are also white supremacists is that these people, if you read the Bible, it's clear that the goodness of God is to be declared. But do you think that the Knights of the Klan are going out? You know who we really need to share Jesus with? Uh, Jewish folks, people of color, immigrants. I, I don't think that that motivation is coming into their head. Why? Because their motivation is based in whom they, who they like. And our concept, our motivation for mission sometimes is, well, that person really needs Jesus, and that's why I should share Jesus with them. That cannot be the motivating factor for, for mission. Rather, the motivating factor for mission is this. God is intrinsically good. And the point of mission is the declaration of the goodness of God. And the reason we do it is because he's so great. The reason we do it is because he's so wonderful. The reason we do it is like the prophet Jeremiah once said, I, I would stop speaking, but I can't stop speaking because the truth burns like fire in my bones. The goodness of Jesus should burn like fire in our bones if, if God is good and Jesus is good. And this is, our, this is our, our king. If this is all true, if he has this kind of greatness, how can we stop ourselves from speaking of him? It doesn't matter whether the person we're talking to, to we like. It doesn't matter whether the person we're talking to we love. It doesn't matter at all. The reason we are on mission is because God is so good and we cannot stop ourselves from speaking of him. The motivation for mission is not that that person needs saved. The motivation for mission is that our God is so great, he must be spoken of. We must declare him. We have to declare his glories. We have to declare his wonder. We must speak of it. God is good. He's great. Also, then, the number one, the one implication of this is that, 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 is that it motivates us to mission. The second implication of the reason that God's glory is at the center of mission is because it reduces fear. Sometimes, 
We're afraid to go out and share the good news of Jesus because we're afraid that a person will reject our Jesus. Again, I don't see this with parents declaring the goodness of their children. I don't see this with, par- with, with husbands declaring the goodness of their wives. I don't see this with sports fans declaring the goodness of their team. Right? I uh, try and keep sports references to a minimum because I run a lot of those, but I have a good friend. Some of you know my good friend, Chris Poems. Chris Poems and I played football together in high school. He teaches at, at Godwin High School. We've been around together forever. He's one of my closest friends. We, we're coaching football together uh, currently, but one of our favorite things to do is argue uh, about anything. It, it, and um, some people would say, is that intentional? Well, some days it is. Some days I come up with in my head, I'm like, what can I say that Chris is going to disagree with? The answer usually is everything because he's, he's a disagreeable human. Uh, and so, but like, like I can go very easily to Chris and say, listen, Chris, uh, Barry Sanders is the best running back of all time. And he would come back and say, no, it's Tony Dorsett, uh, which is a terrible argument. And then we'll argue about that. You can, but it's literally anything. And so we constantly, he's a Dallas Cowboy fan. I'm a Lions fan. Here's the thing. I do not care whether anyone likes my argument about the Detroit Lions. I've never said to myself, oh no, what if people don't accept my argument that the Lions are, are going to win the Super Bowl this year? Don't care. Going to make that argument every year. Anyone who's ever been in a fantasy football league with me knows that I have an undying love for my Detroit Lions and that I will, to my own detriment, sometimes pick every Detroit Lion I can. I am a homer for that team, and I don't care whether you like it, right? Some of you are Green, Pack- Green Bay Packers fans, and you should care that we all find you disgusting and repulsive, but you don't. You don't, because you like terrible teams. But you don't care that you like terrible teams, right? Nobody cares. So here, here's my point. It reduces fear. You are not called to make converts. I can't find that in the Bible. There's no place in the Bible that says, go and make converts. It doesn't say it. It says, declare the glory of the Lord. That's two different things. You're not called to make converts. Some of you would say, but in the future, doesn't it say, doesn't it say that, that we're to make disciples? Yes. We're called to make disciples. I'll talk about that in a minute. But just know this. You're not called to make a convert. You're called to love God so much that you can't help speaking of him. Right? And you know this. Anyone who's ever argued with me about sports or steak, here's the thing. I am, as Martin Luther said when he stood before a council that was about to kill him and they said, recant of the things you said, he said, here I stand. I can do no other. It's how I feel about the lions. It's how I feel about steak. It's how I feel about this congregation. It's how I feel about a lot of things. Here I stand, I can do no other. I don't care if you change your view, but you can be sure that I will not change mine because the goodness of the things that I care about, the Detroit lions and, and uh, well-marbled, medium-rare steak amongst them are so intrinsically valuable. I declare it, right? So it reduces fear because you're not called to make a convert. You're not. I, I don't see it any place. So secondly, you're not called to make converts. It doesn't say go into all the world, preach the gospel, making converts. It doesn't say it. It reduces fear also because we know God is in charge. And we speak of him because we love him, not because of the anticipated response. We talked about that already. But this is, why are you talking about God? Because he's good. Because I love him. Because he's awesome. 
Because he made me. Because he formed me. Because he cared for, cares for me. Because, he, 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 because he, he created well-marbled, medium-rare steak, amongst other things. I speak of the goodness of God. And like every good thing in your life comes from him and is due him. We, we, we declare that. So we know that God is in charge and we speak of him not because we're like, well, I got to share it. And what if people don't believe or what if people reject it? They're going to. Some people are going to reject it. It says in 1 Corinthians that, 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 that when... When God is declared to some people, it is a sweet fragrance leading to life. But to other people, it's a putrid smell that leads to destruction. That's going to happen. But you're not, you're not being judged on it. You're not being held to it. In other words, you're, you're not. God does not have a quota system. Bring in this many converts or you're out. No, that's, no. We're never told to make converts. Not once. I can't think of a place where we're told to go and make converts. So, Here's another way it reduces fear. We know that God is so glorious that some will respond. Like once you realize his glory, once you realize how good he is, you realize that he will respond. So I don't know if, um, uh, if any of you, I know some of you did, watch the TV show Parks and Rec. Um, one of my favorite episodes of Parks and Rec was this, is that there's a guy named Chris Traeger. Chris Traeger's a health nut, and he is, he is speaking to the goodness of, like, like meat-free, fat-free, tofu-created uh, hamburgers. And then there's another guy, kind of my TV hero, Ron Swanson. And Ron Swanson believes in, in things that are good, and one of those he believes in is, is, is a hamburger full of fat. And so it comes about that they have a contest, right? They're going to have a contest to see whose hamburger is, is better. And we won't belabor this, but they have the, the contest, and, and, and Ron Swanson goes in and orders his, his meat from a, from a butcher, probably cut it like 70-30, you know, like the high-fat amount. And Chris Traeger goes in, and he puts all these crazy ingredients into his, his toast thing, and they have the contest, and everybody chooses, uh, based on taste, the, the high-fat uh, hamburger, but my favorite part is at the end, when Chris Traeger goes and, and takes, takes a bite of it, of, of the full-fat hamburger, this, this health nut, and he goes, he just says simply, oh, that is better. Yeah, it's better, right? And here's the point. Here's the point from, from that. The goodness of a full-fat hamburger from Ron Swanson's perspective uh, is that it's so glorious and so good. He doesn't add anything to it. He just has the meat. He's like, it's so good. People just eat it. And they're going to be, to be uh, it's so gloriously good that some people are going to choose that over the other thing. That is a really, really, really lowbrow example of the goodness of God, Right? If he's declared, some people are going to come to him because he's glorious. He is that good. And if you really believe that he was good, you'd brag on him regularly. And if they reject him, you, if, if people reject Jesus, you go, well, you rejected him. But that's okay because it doesn't reduce the goodness of, of God. He is good and he is great. We know then that in God's gloriousness, some will respond. I want to remind us of this, is that it is God and God alone who is in charge of mission. You're right that the scripture does tell us to go and make disciples. But making disciples is what? The process of training a person who has believed up in how to act like a believer. We are to train them. The assumption there is not that we made converts. The assumption is that God is so glorious, converts come, people do convert, and we train them up. Right, But the, the reality is, and we can show this from all over Scripture. I think of Ephesians 1, 4. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. 
to be holy and blameless in his sight. I think of when Jesus says, says that the Father has given him, has given him some, and all that the Father has given him, he will have. There's not one who will get away. There's not one, one person out there where you're like, oh man, I gotta perfect this presentation of the gospel because if I say one word wrong, maybe that person will not believe. There's never a place in scripture where it says that. All that God is calling, he will have. The word of God says this, that the, those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. If you believe in the glorious good election of the father towards his children, they will come. They will come. And there's not a single person that God calls. There's not a single person that God woos. There's not a single person that God lays his hand upon that he will not have. There's not one that gets away from God. We do not believe in that. You cannot be God and call someone and have someone walk away from that call. The person who can walk away from the call of God in that, that example that does not happen becomes himself God. He's stronger than the living one. But the living God... The living God, all who he calls, he will have. They will be his. It says this all over scripture. So that, here's what I want you to hear. We're going to step out in mission, but predominantly the stepping on a mission is to declare the glory and the goodness of God. The good news is some will come. The unfortunate news is some will turn away and choose their own judgment. But the, 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 the key news is this. All whom God has chosen to be his own will be his own. There is not a one who God will not get if he has called them, if he desires them and he wants them. That is why he is God. God's glorious. So what's the point to start it off? The point of this, we're going to do two more weeks on, on mission and boots on the ground, but what, what's the point to start out? The point is this, is that God's glory is at the heart of mission. That's the motivator. That's what motivates us. That's why we do it. If you feel, uh, if you have a motivation problem with evangelism, it is not your personality. Uh, so sometimes you're like, well, I'm shy. I just don't like to speak to it. And the funny is that some of us are, are shy about sharing the gospel, but we aren't shy about saying anything else, right? Like, I've had moments where I'm like, well, I don't know. What will they say? I ain't shy about nothing with my friends. I'm going to be shy about this, right? If you're having a problem with mission, it's not your personality that's keeping you from doing it. If you're having a problem with mission, it's not your giftedness that's keeping you from doing it. If you're having a problem with mission, there is one thing that is keeping you from doing it. You have not yet gone deep enough into the gloriousness of who God is and what Jesus has done for us. So that, here's the application, here's the key application, this is what I want you to walk away with. If you want to grow in mission, you must grow into Jesus. As you value him more, you will speak of him more. As you know his goodness more, you will declare it more. As you see his glory, you will declare his glory. That which we love, we speak of. That which we find desirable, we, 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 we proclaim. That which we know that is the best, we declare to be the best. And we do it without fear and without shame. And so the application of the first point is this. is My challenge to you is this. What will you do? What will you do to grow in to who Jesus is? to grow deeper into what the glory of God is. How will you know him more? How will you love him more? How will you experience him more? No, not, not moralistically, not earning, but this is the reality. God has revealed himself to us in Christ. He's rescued us in him. 
Do we understand the greatness of that? Are we, are we growing into the greatness of that? Are we praying into the greatness of that? Are we picking up the word and reading the word into the greatness of that? Are we spending time together speaking great, the greatness of Jesus into one another's life? What are you doing? Because you will grow in mission in direct proportion into how much you grow into Jesus Christ. God's glory is an intrinsic value in the universe. He's glorious because he is. And we speak of him because he's glorious, because he is. And we're rescued by him because he's glorious, because he is. And we're saved by him because he's glorious, because he is. And and, and we're, we're given gifts and blessings because he's glorious, because he is. Even when we go through struggle and pain, we go through it because of his goodwill and his gloriousness, and it doesn't even compare to the ultimate reality of who he is. But the starting point of mission is this. Our God is great. And if you want to be on mission, the way to do it is to discover more and more day by day how great that he is. Pray with me.